Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Norfolk, Virginia, the site of the largest naval base in the world, and so much history is here. 144 miles of shoreline, which also includes, of course, the Chesapeake Bay. And I'm joined by somebody who knows everything you ever wanted to know about a city that most Americans know very little about, Norfolk, Virginia. And her name is Peggy McPhillips. I, I love your title. You you are the Norfolk City Historian. I am the Norfolk City Historian. As my husband would say, that's her real job. <laughs> well, other than certain things that I know about, like you having the largest naval base in the world, there are other things as well. There are many other things, but speaking of the naval base, I think they all revolve around our water. We're almost surrounded by water. We're cut through by water. We were founded. Rivers, lakes, bays. Creeks. Creeks. Can't forget that. Say it again. Can't Say it again. Cricks. 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 We were founded in the 17th century because of our harbor, our natural, deep, ice-free harbor. Uh, we were founded on a little strip of land of 50, 50 acres, almost completely surrounded by water. And that brought in trade, uh, our navy, wonderful, wonderful fresh seafood. We had several disasters through the years, and the port and its economy brought us back to stability. We were burned to the ground at the beginning of the Revolutionary War. We had a terrible fire in 1922 in our Berkeley neighborhood that destroyed most of the houses there and caused a massive leaving of Berkeley. There was a waterfront fire in 1931. Um, We had a yellow fever epidemic in 1855 where about 2,000 people died within a period of about 90 days. 
Uh, then we were occupied by the federal army during the Civil War. You mean those Union guys? Those Union guys, those guys from the north, came down, those, <laughs> those Yankees, and they occupied us for four years. Um, our economy and our infrastructure were just a mess after that. And every time we looked to the water and we saw commerce coming in, commerce going out, um, and those wonderful, wonderful loads of coal leaving and going all over the world after the 1880s, coal came to Norfolk. And you know, it's interesting when you talk about coal because we've done this show many times from Wales. And Wales was the coal capital of Europe. And in fact, there were coal barons. And it was like the Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. of coal. Um, and then about 1968, when the, when the British government ruled no more coal mines, they had to reinvent themselves. Oh, my goodness. And I guess they did. Just like you guys uh, were, you know, right. in, in terms of figuring out. And in both cases, the answer was the water. Exactly. It, it's just, it's the whole story of Norfolk is the water. I could tie it into just about everything. The, the Jamestown Exposition in 1907, that was because we were on Sewell's Point, and it was a great location for people, many of whom traveled by water in those days. You know, after 9-11, uh, the travel industry was in terrible shape. Uh, nobody was flying, which meant nobody's going to hotels. Everybody was staying home. The only industry that was able to adapt was the cruise line industry because they could literally physically uh, move their assets. Mm -hmm. And they started repositioning their ships to U.S. ports, ports that didn't even know they had cruise ship ports, Norfolk being one of them. Norfolk was very like that, even farther back than that. We had our first uh, operation sale in... 1976, it was an anniversary called the Tall the Ships. The Tall Ships, came sure. In. We had no real beautiful waterfront at the time. We'd been a working waterfront, and uh, the ships had left downtown, and it was just parking lots and rubble. And we found a, a berth over at NOAA for a couple of ships to come in, and people were just amazed. All of the citizens who went down, they liked the ships. And that was really the start of the rebirth of our downtown waterfront, which today is beautiful. And are you getting cruise ships coming in now? We are getting cruise ships coming in now. We sure are. And that's wonderful to see all these tourists walking around downtown and being interested in our, our shopping mall and all of the restaurants on our main main downtown drag, Granby Street. But when people come and you get a chance to talk to them, what's mm -hmm. the biggest surprise that you have for them about the history of Norfolk that they had absolutely no idea? Well, a lot of the people had heard Norfolk's reputation, which wasn't all that great, um, going back to World War II, and they are amazed that it's so modern, so easy what, what to get was, around what in. What was the reputation? Well, during World War II, um, the Navy was very different then. We had, um, oh gosh. The, this, the MPs were busy. They were busy. We had a huge <laughs> influx of people coming in. We had a very colorful East Main Street with tattoo parlors and honky-tonks and the MPs were busy, and Norfolk was not as welcoming of the Navy as we are now, so it was known as a very unfriendly place with not a lot to do. Boy, has that changed. Toto, I'm feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Talking to Peggy McPhillips, the Norfolk City historian. I remember, Peggy, when I first came to Norfolk in the 70s, it was a tough place. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, there are places you just wouldn't go, right? That's right. And especially on the waterfront, too. Mm -hmm. 
What turned it around? I, it must have been a combination of things. Um, I think a critical mass may have been part of it. Because uh, the Navy's the, always been here. The Navy's always been here. Um, are there still tattoo parlors here? There are tattoo parlors here again. They went <laughs> away and they came back a couple of years ago. Um, no pain, no stain is the uh, motto of one of them. Okay. So they are back. But it, they're very, very different now. We don't have the colorful East Main Street. Instead of being tattoo parlors and, and peep shows and things like that, there's the financial district today. Um, beautiful, brand new hotels. One that just opened a couple of weeks ago, the Main, on Main Street. Um, we have the beautiful new library that just opened two years ago that's a major draw for people. Thomas, um, please, please tell me people go to the library People still. go to the library. Oh, my gosh, they do. Um, our main library was taken down um, in 2009 for our new light rail station downtown. But the city decided to buy a little building for us that was built in 1900. And two years ago, a six-story wing of the building was added with the most amazing technology. We have, we still have books. Oh, yes. And we also have books um, which you can get on Kindle or download. We have a lot of things for young people. Pixel Fest was just a couple of weekends ago. And they were just kids doing games and dressed strangely to me, but having the best time. So people still come to libraries, absolutely. And you're about to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the Navy being We here. are celebrating the 100th anniversary of Naval Station Norfolk, the greatest naval station in the world, and we're, we're doing a lot with the Navy. The Navy does a lot for us. I mean, it's not just having them here and boosting the economy, but they live in our communities, the, the naval personnel and their families. They, they coach little league teams. They serve on boards and commissions. They sit in front of us in church. Um, so they really are in the community, and I think it has enriched us so much. When people come to Norfolk, uh, friends of yours, for example, who mm -hmm. maybe have never been here before, what's the one thing you show them they go, I had no idea? Mm -hmm. What's the biggest surprise to them? I think probably the biggest surprise for a lot of people, especially people who may live a little bit inland, um, is the waterfront. Um, all of the activities that we have on the downtown waterfront with fest events in the summertime and just people, you can stroll around, you can take a, a dinner cruise on the water. And a lot of people are not used to using the water in that way. It's not the utilitarian waterfront anymore. It's a little bit of a, a thrill, an extra well, you have the, the Waterside District about to open up. Oh, that's exciting. But before that happens, where do you go hang out? Where's a local dive for you for breakfast, lunch, or dinner that's not in the brochure, not in the guidebook that you would take me to? For breakfast, I would take you right around the corner from the library to a little place called De Egg. <laughs> yeah. It, it is run by um, a young man named Philip Decker, whose father, uh, the late Pete Decker, was a very, very popular and beloved attorney here and. Philip opened the egg, and they serve breakfast and lunch. They serve breakfast all day. I would definitely take you there. It's just off the beaten track enough, and it's it's one of a kind. All right, so that's breakfast. Where are we going for lunch? Oh, let's see. We don't want to go back there for lunch, do we? No. Uh, I think for lunch I might take you to the Cuisine and Company uh, Cafe in Slover Library. In the library? In the library, yeah. We have our own cafe. Oh, that's so nice having the library cafe right there. They have wonderful food. They are the same company that has the restaurant in the Chrysler Museum. 
And I think that would be my choice for lunch. Okay, now surprise me for dinner. For dinner, I knew you were going to ask me about dinner. But well, it's, I, I want a place that's, that only you know that's not in the guidebook or the brochures that you got you like to hang out at. Let's see. Uh huh. She's pausing. I She's thinking. I tell you where we like to hang out, and yes. this is very very casual. But that's what we want. We happen to have um, a couple of universities here: Old Dominion University. They have um, a little section, a uh, row of shops where their bookstore and so forth called Monarch Way because ODU is the Monarchs, get it? Um, and there's a place called Mojo Bones. It's a college hangout, but they have they have wonderful hamburgers. And my husband and I went there for the first time a couple of summers ago when the power went out at home, and we wanted we wanted a cold beer in the worst way. <laughs> and we went there, and and we've been going back ever since. And it's fun because you have all of the college students there, and a lot of locals go in there too. And it's totally off the beaten track. So now you go there even when the power doesn't. Go we out. do, we do. I'm we just double checking that mm-hmm. you go right. That's where you go. Right, we do. Mojo Bones. Mojo Bones. Yeah. And I like the way you say it. Oh, it's great. It's wonderful. <laughs> If you are continuing on to another southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. You know, earlier in the year when we were celebrating, I talked about earlier last year, you know, the 100th anniversary of the national parks, and, and most people had no idea how many there were. If you added up the number of parks and monuments, um, it's, it's amazing how many there are that nobody even knows about. Yeah, they know Yellowstone. They, they know Yosemite. They might know Acadia if they're hanging out in Maine. They might know, you know the Smoky Mountains. But uh, my next guest uh, has a couple of secrets to share because he comes from uh, the Fort Stanwix National Monument. Bet you don't know where that is. And the Harriet Tubman Monument. And his name is uh, Frank Barrows. He's the superintendent. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks and, for and, having me. And you wore the badge, too. I love it. So you heard my introduction about how, and I never get the number right. I used to think it was like 394, something like that, national monuments and parks, and I'm probably, I'm probably low. It's over 400. As so, I said, I'm uh, probably low. Thanks, Frank. And Harriet Tubman National Historical Park was just established last week as number 414. Which is why I wasn't getting the numbers right. Okay. Yeah. But let's first of all talk about Fort Stanwix, because that's not far from where we were in Utica not too long ago. Yeah, Fort Stanwix is in Rome, New York. It's a battlefield and archaeological site significant for the roles that it played in the French and Indian War and the American Revolution. And now the Harriet Tubman Memorial, that's got to have special meaning. Absolutely. Uh, certainly in, in today, she's re- is as relevant as ever. Um, it's a divided nation that we, we live in, and people like Harriet Tubman who fought for a cause, we can find inspiration in looking at our history and our historical figures. and it's well, well, to put this in perspective, for those of people who haven't done their homework and haven't done their research, she was really, the, I hate to say the queen, but she was the, the big mover of the Underground Railroad. Yeah, she, she helped about, our, our best guess is around 70 people escape from the South. And, you know, human brains are wired for self-preservation, and she just didn't have that. She went to the South over and over uh, especially to help free her friends and family in, in Maryland. I mean, she took huge risks. Oh, yeah. Um, the, the risks were, were huge. You know, she, she could face anything from death to a, a slave catcher catching her and being sold deeper into the South, and 
never seeing her family again. Um, I'm a father of two young boys. I can't imagine making a decision to leave them in the hopes that I might see them. Uh, or never see them. Or never see them again. Exactly. And it's nice to be able to celebrate American history with a monument that tells that story. Absolutely. And um, I should say there's two sites dedicated to Tubman. Um, to learn about her early life, you can visit her site um, down near Cambridge, Maryland. There's a, there's a na uh, national park dedicated to Harriet Tubman. And this new site in Auburn, I think, will expose people to a side of Harriet Tubman they might not know because it's about her life as a free person and her involvement in her community and how she continued to dedicate herself to serving others. Now, you mentioned Auburn. Tell me if I'm crazy, but isn't that America's oldest prison? I'm, I can't tell you for sure. I think for it is. Sure. I think it, it is. It's, it's probably up there, though. Yeah, it is. But let's give me a sense of a of, of real distance here. How long was that Underground Railroad? We call it the railroad, but you know what I'm saying. How many miles are we really talking about in terms of getting people out? Well, it was really a, a loose network of assistance. I think there's this misconception that the Underground Railroad was this highly organized um, system of conductors and safe havens for people. But more often than not, it was people like Harriet Tubman who were facing an imminent threat who decided to emancipate themselves and find help along the way. So, um, you know, it, it was different in different areas in places like New Bedford, where I worked at New Bedford Whaling National Historical Park, where Frederick Douglass escaped. A lot of those slaves escaped by vessel. Um, but coming from the south, from, from Maryland, uh, as Tubman did, who stopped briefly in Philadelphia and eventually lived in, in Canada for a while before settling in Auburn, it was, it was quite the journey. And she escaped. She did. Yeah. She did. She escaped on her own. Amazing. And she's buried in Auburn. Yes. She's buried at the Fort Hill Cemetery. And one thing that I'd, I'd like the listeners to know is that although this park was just established last week, there is plenty you can do now. Um, our partners at the Harriet Tubman House, Harriet Tubman Home, Inc., uh, run a couple of sites there. They run the Harriet Tubman Home, the home for the aged that she established to care for uh, elderly African-American men and women. And they have a visitor and think, center. And think about, the, 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 put this in some historical perspective, in the age that she did that, how difficult that was to do. Absolutely. I mean, the fact that she even owned property um, that was sold to her by um, William Seward, who was the governor. Seward's and, Folly. Yes, the governor and secretary of state, which is another site in Auburn. You can visit the Seward home, which is a national historic landmark, part of the Underground Railroad Network to Freedom. Um, it was certainly unprecedented for someone who escaped slavery to own property at that time. We're talking to Frank Barrows, the superintendent of the Fort Stanwix National Monument, and he's overseeing the Harriet Tubman Memorial, or the mon monument. Is there a website? We do have a website, www.nps.gov slash heart, H-A-R-T. And our partners who run the site um, at harriethouse.org. And rumor has it she's going on a pizza currency. Absolutely. Um, and in 2020... Uh, we're going to see Harriet Tubman, hopefully, on the $20 bill. Replacing a certain president? Yep, replacing Andrew Jackson. And I think, you know, just as national parks, you, you mentioned the centennial earlier, and national parks want to reflect the diversity in the, of the nation and the stories we tell and the places that we preserve. And I think it's time our national symbols uh, also reflect the diversity of our nation. So I think it's a fantastic thing. Riding along in my 
Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. 52 minutes after the hour, Peter Grimmer here with you from Syracuse, New York. In fact, the old Hotel Syracuse, which has now been completely restored, renovated, refurbished, but not redesigned in that respect. It's been preserved in an amazing $76 million attempt by my next guest, Mr. Ed Riley, who's a local boy. Good afternoon. Yeah. Welcome to Syracuse. Thank you, sir. Um, I guess the, the question I have for you is, you, you grew up here. This hotel was, goes back to what, 1924? 1924, yes. So when you were a kid running around Syracuse, that, was it the tallest building then? No, um, actually right up the street, the State Tower building yeah. was built a couple of years after this. And if you want to see a study in different architecture, you can just look at that very quickly because that's modeled after the Empire State Building, this obviously being much more of the old classic Greek revival type of design. All right, but it's, it's a building you grew up with. It, it, was, the, it was always been, uh, you know, in this community since it was opened in 1924, the preeminent show-off palace in town. And I mean, people got married here, the props yeah. were here, the balls were here. Absolutely. Um, Some of the big bands came in and played? They had actually big band shows that were uh, on the radio across the country. I've gotten letters from as far away as the West Coast in Portland saying we used to listen to the big band sounds from the Persian Terrace at the lovely Hotel Syracuse in Syracuse, New York. It was called the Persian Terrace? The Persian Terrace. It was originally the Terrace Room when it first opened, and then in the 1930s it was converted to the Persian Terrace and had a very very sort of brightly colored mural painted on three of the walls. Wow. And those murals are still around. They're still there. They're on the, they're on the underside of the uh, paint. We actually restored this to how it looked in 1924. So if you came in here in 1924, this is what you saw. Now, you had to restore it in still keeping with fire codes. You had to restore it still keeping with materials. Yep, all the way down through, including like windows that you see that have been replaced were actually sent out and duplicated to look exactly the way that the ones that were installed in 1924 were. So... If I'm a typical developer, I have to look at this saying, why would you spend all that? I have to ask you, why would you spend all that money? Because are you ever going to see that money come back? Well, I think the, the biggest thing is, is this is an example of what happens when you meld um, different types of grants with tax credits, with private financing, and you get the basis in this down to a reasonable level so you can preserve the building and you can share it for the next generations. And it becomes a showpiece for the community again. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's been received great. We're busy as heck, and um, the community has really embraced the project almost since day one when we announced that the project was going to get underway. What was your biggest design challenge when you started peeling back the wall paper and lifting up the carpets I mean what did you first of all what did you discover that you weren't expecting because you had to see something there Oh, we had a lot of we had a lot of interesting discoveries. Probably the biggest discovery is the mural that you see at the over the front desk. There was actually a mirrored wall in front of that. We didn't know what kind of shape it was in. We didn't know if they had taken it down or not. Um, it's all painted on wood panels and then has soft joints between them. But when we took the wall down, it was in great shape. I mean, the biggest uh, single stain that we had to get off of it, uh, believe it or not, was tobacco stain. From all those years of smoking in the lobby, a lot of people with cigars back in those days smoking, and they put a lot of smoke in the air. 
All right, but then when you lifted up the carpet, did you find tiles that you weren't expecting? Not so much, uh, you know, as far as the carpets were concerned. The whole lobby itself was covered with a small uh, layer of concrete that they put down and put the carpet over that. So when we took up the, the carpet and then got, got the concrete off, we were surprised to find out that they hadn't even cleaned the terrazzo floors before they poured over them. So the stuff just peeled up like pancakes, and the floor was in great shape. We hardly did, had to do any repolishing of it. Wow. Very cool. Very lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. And then you had fire code issues because you have to make sure you're up to speed? This, uh, this building right now is 100% compliant for both ADA and fire codes and life safety. And that's probably the single biggest challenge when you do something like well, this. Well, ADA especially. Absolutely. They uh, had very small rooms. As I said, the uh, guest rooms in this uh, building, when it was originally built, if you're an NBA basketball player, you could lay in bed and change the channel on the TV with your toes and not get up. So <laughs> it's pretty easy. But, okay, I've seen some of the older hotels where you, where you have that kind of a footprint. Yep. You really can't change it all. We changed the rooms. One of the things we negotiated with Shippo and the Interior Department on the historic aspect was we're a hotel and we need to survive as a hotel, otherwise they'll just get in problems again. So they allowed us to go from the quarter walls to the outside walls of the building, gut what was there and put the new guest rooms in. What we did also, though, is at the could prow you, of the Could building, you increase the size of the bathrooms? We definitely increased the size of the bathrooms. <laughs> they were a little small. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and they were original to 1924. They hadn't been renovated in about 90 years. So we're talking new plumbing. All new plumbing, all new mechanical, all, all new electrical, all new life safety within a 90-year-old box. And new water heaters, yay! Yes, we, we actually you can turn the water on and not wait a half hour. You get hot water right away. That's another whole concept that came up. When you took this over, I mean, I know some of the hotels that they've done like this around the country. There were people who were full-time residents here. We had a couple full-time residents when it closed. Actually, the hotel was closed for about 10 years before I purchased the hotel. So um, when it finally went dark and it went into bankruptcy, there was two permanent residents that they had to relocate, uh, a 93-year-old woman and then a younger attorney that was here. I think he was in his 50s. Right, but then that was it, and the hotel was closed? It was closed, and it was a, a little surreal to a certain degree because if you weren't working that day, they just walked everybody, locked the doors. And that was it, and, and that, turned out the lights. And that was it, and if your personal stuff was still on your desk, it was still there 10 years later. Really? Yeah, it was like walking back in time. Uh, very much. It was it was sad actually to see sweaters on desk chairs and you know their personal things, shoes, things like that. Well, of course, you know what that means. It's haunted. That's right, of course. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. But I would walk I always like to ask the locals what they're doing, and my next guest certainly qualifies as that. He's with the York Daily Record. His name is Scott Fisher. Hey, Scott. Hi. Thanks. Nice, nice to be here. Yeah. Now, you've been here a whopping 23 years, something That's like that? That's right. I, I got the math right, didn't yeah, I? Very good. <laughs> what brought you here? A uh, job. I was uh, living in Wilmington, Delaware. And Not that far away. No, about two hours or so, and uh, got a chance to uh, come up and work for the, the other newspaper in town, the York Dispatch, and uh, eventually I was traded to the York Daily Record. What, for a minor league prospect? What? It's, it's a long story, but the ownership of the newspaper swapped, and I went with it. So, But the good news is we still have a newspaper. We still have two newspapers in New York, which is wow. remarkable. We have, and they compete. So we, actually, we have a joint operating agreement, so we share, so share the presses. Yeah, yeah but, but we still compete. What do people not know about York? Oh, gosh. Because 
you know, people think they have a pretty good idea of Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, some of the bigger cities. They have a pretty good idea of the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, there are the stereotypical images of, you know, uh, cheesesteaks and pretzels and and just things that people have come to know about, you know, the sports teams and stuff like that. But you are not necessarily on the main thoroughfare of where people go, you know, when they want to go and take a trip somewhere. You you have to really want to come here to see stuff. And then when you do, you get surprised. Yeah, the thing about York is that we're we're kind of like the middle of everywhere because we have lots of things around us that, that are they're great to go to. Hershey Park, Lancaster, Gettysburg, Baltimore. So it's, it's kind of a, a great center place to, to sort of You're be. You're not far, about an hour and a half from Baltimore, really. Not even that, an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, and so it's great opportunities to be in the city, in the country, and, and, and all parts in between. So One of the things that strikes me about York, which I think is, is very cool, because I'm one of those guys who believes that if you understand the process, that's when you appreciate the product. You have so many factory tours. We do, yeah. Uh, Hanover, uh, Mark was talking, he's, he's based in Hanover now. There are a lot, the, the Snyders, the, there's there a, a lot of opportunities to see the snack food makers. Uh, well, stop right there. Snack food makers, <laughs> I don't leave the factory. Pretzels, yeah. Right? Not just pretzels, <laughs> the mustard pretzels, the honey pretzels. Right. The, the, the chips. The chips. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's great stuff, and and you know York actually still makes a lot of things. We make Harley Davidsons here. Uh, See, for those people think Harley is just made in Milwaukee, you're wrong. That's right. So there, are, a lot of them are assembled here, and we in York we have a, a great bike night, and uh, I think it's in the towards the end of the summer or fall, where a lot of folks who have Harleys come back. They bring their bike back home where it was made. And it's kind of coming home to Mecca, I guess. So for, basically, for so much for Sturgis. You have you have right. the bike night here. Uh, Forget Sturgis. York is way better. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But then there's the cultural scene. Yeah, there, there is. And the, the great thing about York right now to me is that the city is seeing a great renaissance. A lot of young people, millennials, are colonizing neighborhoods, the downtown neighborhoods. They're coming back. They're you see, opening there was a time, up. there was a time not that long ago where they weren't coming back. They were leaving. They were leaving. They were getting, and you know, that's still a problem in York. A lot of young people are leaving, but... I'm, I think we're starting to see the tide turn a little bit. They're coming here and they're staying and they're they're living in the city and and, and making our town better. So it's, it's great to see. And I would and tell me if I'm wrong because you've been here what 23 years. Mm-hmm. But when I first came here, you know, you could get French fries, you get a hamburger, you could get a pretzel, you know, you could get some German pastries. But now you've got some pretty cutting edge restaurants here. Yeah, we, we have some great great places downtown. We. Uh, the left bank is a, is a long time staple, which you know it's, it's real high. And by the food. way, in the interest of full disclosure, I had lunch there today. It was it was great. Was it good? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, when you think York, Pennsylvania, you don't think seared tuna tataki with Asian noodles. You don't. No. But no. they did a great job. No. But but and there's a lot of other great places too. The places like Tutoni's, really good Italian food downtown. Um, but and, and more casual places. The place that I really like is connected to Central Market, which is a great old farmers market in downtown New York. Uh, Mudhook Brewing Company. There's a lot of microbrews that are opening up in our yeah, town. Yeah, but you too. know what? There are microbrews opening up in everybody's in that's everybody's true. backyard. That's <laughs> true. You, you own nothing in that department. Trust me. No, I, I I get it, but it's nice to see it happen. But the Central Market's interesting because you walk in there, and it's only open what three or four days a week. It's Tuesdays op- and Thursdays and Saturdays. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and yet you got 67 different vendors in there from the farmers you expect. Mm-hmm. And then they got Korean barbecue in there. It's like, it's, they and got it's good Korean barbecue too. Really? Well, I think so. I, I haven't, I haven't experienced 
actual Korean barbecue, but it's it's good. You've experienced York, Pennsylvania true. Korean barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But that's such a that's such a cool place. You go there on a Saturday morning and you walk around and you see fifteen friends and you know, my my kids always joke that I hate to go with you to brunch in, on Central Market on Saturday mornings because you, you talk to 15 people and, and you I never can't get you out never of leave. here. Let you me never out leave. of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's, they it's just a great meeting place. Mark, they, I, mean, I mean, Scott, they just don't want to be with you. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> they, that's not what they said on Father's Day, but, you know. Well, they had to say it. On right, Father's right. Day. Exactly. They're, but let's assume that you and I haven't met and I'm showing up in New York for the first time. Where are you going to take me? Well, I, I am going to take you to Central Market for one thing. That, that's a cool place. Depends on what your interests are. Um, <clears throat> I'm I'm uh, kind of an outdoorsy expert or, or exercise person, so I might take you on our Heritage Rail Trail, which is a 20-mile excellent bike ride. Uh, you mentioned earlier in the show um, Hanover Junction. I, I was by, over there earlier today. I, ro- yeah, I rode the bike. It goes the, the trail goes right by there all the way down to Maryland, past the Mason-Dixon line. It connects to the Torrey Trail. Down in, and it'll take you all the way down towards Towson. So it's it's a great opportunity to to, to go out for a, a long ride or a run or a walk. You know, people forget. You know, we, we talk about the trains and the history in this country, the whole rails to trails project that is w- nationwide, where they're actually reclaiming the old tracks that are no longer being used. Mm-hmm. Although in this in this case, the tracks are being used, but in many cases they're not, and they become great hiking and biking trails. And you discover so much about the history of the country that way. That's true. That, that's my wife and I. That's kind of our thing now. We like we've been tr- trying to go out and visit rail trails. So we recently went down to uh, Harper's Ferry and went along the Potomac Trail, and uh, uh, we went up to Jim Thorpe. And there are great some really great trails up there. It's a great opportunity to get get outside. Museums. The uh, one one of the great things about York is we have so much history. We have uh, 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 an agricultural and industrial museum in York. Uh, the York County History Center is in the process of sort of combining a lot of its efforts to a big, big event, a big uh, museum project downtown. Uh, in fact, this weekend there's a there's a big uh, sort of a opening celebration of what they're going to be doing there. So a lot happening there. When you say agriculture museum, I'm going to go see a plow. You're going to go. <laughs> you might go see a plow. You're going to see old tractors, a lot of which uh, might have been built in New York or or Pennsylvania. See, if I want to go see a tractor, I want them to let me operate it. I, I want to go. I want to get out and, and, and start her up. I can't promise you that, but uh, it's it's a neat museum. I, I I really enjoyed it. Where is the one place you go for dinner? Don't say Left Bank. You said it already. That is your little dive place. My little dive place. Yeah, it's actually not in New York, and it's not really a dive, but it's over. Other across, than that, you've answered my question perfectly. Across, it's across. <laughs> it's across the river in Marietta. It's a little place called Nick's Bistro, and it's it's right downtown, and it's it's just an excellent little neighborhood bar slash restaurant. Really friendly folks there. Hello, uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. When you mention a state like Pennsylvania, you know, the bigger cities come to mind, Philadelphia to the east, Pittsburgh to the west. It's the real hidden gems are in the south central part where we are right now in York. Yes, I'd agree, Peter. And that person is Mark Charisse, who is local historian, also the director of the Hanover Heritage Conference Center. There's so much hidden history here. I mean, you can you can walk it, you can bike it. But to you, what's been lost 
that people don't really know? What's, what stories are, are missing? Well, I, I think that central Pennsylvania gets, gets overlooked. I mean, you have Gettysburg um, a little bit to the west of us and Philadelphia to the east, uh, and, and a good deal of things happened here in between. We were the first capital of the United States, and uh, the uh, armies during the Civil War maneuvered all around here, so quite a bit happened. And you still have all the Civil, Civil War reenactors over here? Oh, yes. Are you one of them? Um, no, I'm a, a reenact. I do a, a magic act. I'm a magician reenactor on a local steam train here. Okay, walk me through that for a second. I understand magician. I understand steam train. What are you reenacting? Uh, Victorian magic, uh, the authentic stuff. Uh, Abraham Lincoln was a huge, huge uh, fan of magic. As a matter of fact. All right. What was his What was his favorite trick? The linking rings, which I call the Lincoln rings, in 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 his <laughs> honor. I've seen that done. Uh, there's a very good friend of mine who's an amazing magician named Steve Cohen who does an amazing performance in New York. And S- Steve Cohen does it. It's really up close to you. I mean, it's really close in magic. And he links the rings. And nobody can understand how he does it. Well, that's the, the best thing about magic is it happens right in front of your face. Um, it doesn't, doesn't work all that well on the radio for the most part. But uh, not even No, no, television. here's how it works on the radio. Oh, my God. How did you do that? See, there, there you go. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Was that believable enough? That was. But. The point is that the, that the trick they were doing for Lincoln back in the 1860s is the same trick you're doing now. Exactly. So, with the same technique. Very much so. How big was magic back then? Magic was much, much bigger back then. Uh, it had recently come in off the street and was uh, considered fine and edifying uh, Victorian family entertainment. And was there one trick other than the one you just mentioned that truly signified or depicted that era? The linking rings would be up there, and so would a, the levitation of someone, floating someone in the air. And they had the technology back then in terms of, 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 of magic, if you will, to pull that off. Absolutely. The secret of magic is that it hasn't changed all that much in 150 years. Because the levitation is really part of an illusion act. Yes. So the, the old Siegfried and Roy Act really started way back then. There aren't, there aren't many things that, that you see today that uh, weren't done 150 years ago, actually. Now, the train itself has history. Yes, it does. Um, the, that, that railway's been in, in existence since about 1820. Um, it's a steam engine and converted uh, or, or uh, reproduction cars. The, the, it gives you a real sense of, of what a train would have been in the 1860s. You know, when you take a look at the rail network in America today, people don't realize that Amtrak still goes to 500 destinations, but that's a fraction of where the rail network was back then. I mean, because the rail network back then really built America. Sure, and it was uh, being built in the, during the Civil War and was instrumental in the Civil War. Um, the, uh, the, the rail line that we ride that goes through York County uh, carried uh, Lincoln to Gettysburg to give his famous speech and also brought him to York uh, during the Lincoln funeral train. And that's what Hanover Junction, mm-hmm. right? Good. He stopped there, right? Very good. Oh, yes. you're impressed with that, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. You didn't know I knew that, did you? That's, that's good. He history. actually spent he actually spent two days there in November of 1863, didn't he? Some of that forgotten history you're talking about, exactly. See? And then it was April '65 that his funeral train came back. I mean, that, that talk about history. That's right there. But when you take people around, other than the magic that you're performing, what's the one story that you tell them, or that you know that they go, "We had absolutely no idea." Well, one of the things I do is I take them to Hanover, which is the Hanover Junction is on the way to Hanover. It's on the, uh, the very uh, 
western edge of the county, and there was a cavalry battle there, about 7,500 men, and the civilians went to their windows. We have numerous accounts of civilians firing on the Confederate troops, the women running out in the street, pulling wounded men to safety, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a piece of history that just doesn't get remembered. And what brought you here? The history. I, I came here, saw the architecture, saw the, the uh, th this town looks like it was frozen, in, the downtown looks like it was almost frozen in time. And, and I fell in love, and I think a lot of people who grew up here don't um, appreciate it as much as someone who comes in and sees it for the first time sometimes. I mean, I look at it as, say, you know, you, you can go to any sort of recreation theme park, and then there's York, which is really a living museum. That's well said. That's what I do what I do, you see. Yeah, that's why I'm sitting on yeah, this that's side of the that's exactly it. Okay, I'm just double-checking you understand the, right. the hierarchy here. But, of course, you could do the linking rings and I can't. So we, we got sort of like a, a, a kind of a trade-off here. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.